You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Campus Beat. I'm Dinah Jansen. On Thursday, February 11th, 2021, Queen's University announced that researcher Dr. Ann Ellis and co-investigators Dr. Stephen Vanner and Pramit Shath are receiving $223,000 in Government of Canada funding to study COVID-19 transmission and immunity among 500 Faculty of Sciences students here at Queen's University. Today on Campus Beat, we are joined by Dr. Ann Ellis, Professor in the Departments of Medicine and Biomedical and Molecular Sciences here at Queen's and lead researcher on this new study. Welcome, Ann. Oh. So thank you very much for joining us. And first off, congratulations on the huge grant from the federal government. That's amazing news. Thank you very much. (laughs) So before launching into discussion of this very fascinating and innovative new study, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your clinical practice and your research areas, including the work you do in allergy and immunology studies here at Queen's? Sure. So obviously prior to COVID-19, that was the majority of what uh, my life was about. I'm a clinician scientist. Um, I have approximately 70% of my academic time devoted to conducting research. And we have a very active clinical trials group. So we um, usually spend a lot of time studying new therapies for allergic rhinitis or asthma. I'm director of uh, the internationally recognized environmental exposure unit, which is uh, housed in Kingston General Hospital. And within there, we can circulate uh, controlled levels of allergens to induce symptoms in up to 120 people uh, simultaneously. So you can really generate a lot of interesting data very quickly. Obviously, that type of research model does not lend itself well to a pandemic. You can't put 120 people into a room to sneeze and cough all over each other. So we very uh, quickly uh, pivoted to looking for opportunities uh, to do COVID-19 research when it became clear that our allergic rhinitis type research wasn't likely to uh, continue for, for quite some time. So now let's hear more about the new study you are undertaking with Dr. Stephen Vanner and Pramit Sheth. What are you studying and what will the process look like? So this is a study that's going to enroll at least 500 uh, medical students, nursing students, rehabilitation uh, students, as well as people who are um, doing their graduate studies within the Faculty of Health Sciences. And we've just recently opened this up to all residents who are undertaking medical um, studies at, 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 at Queen's or within the KHSC sites. Um, and really the, the opportunity here is, was born from the fact that Queens was the first campus across the country to reopen its doors to medical students and nursing students, anybody who's a health professional student. Um, we actually had people come back to campus uh, late May, early June, uh, when everybody had been sent home uh, in the middle of March. Mm-hmm. And so there was a fair amount of, you know, anxiety about, well, these people have been living in Toronto and now they're coming back to Kingston. As you recall at the time, we had very, very low um, numbers locally. Um, so mm-hmm. we saw this as an opportunity really to um, to see what is the risk of bringing asymptomatic students into the medical environment. So coming back into the hospital or going on clinical rotations, doing clinical skills with each other. Um, so we are uh, uh, 
put this study together really to start off by doing um, acute PCR testing and also measuring antibody levels. Uh, when we first got started with the antibody assay hadn't even been validated or uh, approved yet. So we started off just by taking blood and, and letting them know that eventually you will tell you what your antibody levels are. Um, and then of course we had a much larger cohort that has gradually been introduced over the course of the fall um, as the, the second, first year, second year and third year medical students returned as well as all the various years of all those other uh, nursing and rehab programs. And it's been timed specifically based on um, trying to match when these students are actually coming into clinical rotations. So we've worked very hard to time our visits to match the uh, public health requirements on these students to give them clearance, if you will, to be able to enter the hospital. Um, it, obviously, they still have to be able to pass all of the screening questionnaires. They have to be feeling well, not have a fever, not all the same sorts of questions that we, everyone gets asked if they're trying to walk into the hospital. Um, so mm -hmm. we are testing people while they're asymptomatic. But because we're also drawing antibody levels, and we know there's people who have had to drop out from certain visits because they were symptomatic and therefore weren't going to be allowed in, they're able to come back later when their symptoms have resolved and it's been more than 14 days. So that really gives us the opportunity again with the antibody uh, levels to see was that actually COVID that you were symptomatic with and did you develop antibodies so we can study their immune responses over the course of the entire year. So again, wow. we see people several times, uh, up to four and sometimes even extra visits, uh, depending on, on what their requirements are um, over the course of about a year. Wow, fascinating stuff. So I also found it interesting to learn from uh, the media release from Queen's University that your team will also be looking at or your subjects mental health status and the changes in their COVID-19 testing status throughout uh, and through their questionnaires. So can we tease this out a bit more? What might the connections be between mental health among students and COVID-19 test status? Let's hear more on that. Yeah, absolutely. So we saw the opportunity. We wanted to do a questionnaire anyway to gather, first and foremost, contact information. Um, what Did you have any symptoms during the early parts of the pandemic when you weren't allowed to be here? Mm -hmm. um, so when we were doing that questionnaire to get sort of more demographics and epidemiological data put together, we saw a real opportunity to add in a mental health aspect so we can see are the students anxious about coming back uh, when they've been at home for so long? Um, and does that change, particularly now that we have vaccines available and some of the residents will be um, offered them hopefully soon, um, that's gonna change over time as well. So uh, we really thought the fact that it's longitudinal and um, obviously some of the questions, we don't make them tell us 10 times where they were in November of last year. Um, so we do update it as we go, but they do fill in the same um, standardized and validated um, anxiety scale questionnaires and depression scale questionnaires. And then we will link that to, does that change over time as people become more and more accustomed to the quote unquote new normal? Or does that anxiety never go away? We won't know till we analyze it. Okay, and now the questionnaire also features other demographic factors as well. well let's hear about some of them. Yeah, so obviously the cap we capture the standard things you would wanna know, um, age, uh, uh, gender, uh, where were you living uh, during lockdown? Um, where have you lived since then? Um, obviously, anybody in your family that has contracted the virus or uh, anyone that you know, um, but also just general information about where are you in your studies. Um, so we've captured all of that to try to tease out are there differences? Do the nursing students 
um, respond to this challenge differently than the medical students. So it'll be very interesting when we when we get it all together and we've done the quality control work on the on the data set so we can actually start analyzing things. Okay. Now as a clinician scientist, uh, questionnaires might must be actually a very difficult uh, thing to actually write as well because how do you where do you make the decisions on what information you need to capture? What does that look well, like? Well that's yeah, so that's why we actually have far more co-investigators than the ones that were named in the grant application. So, okay. I mean, this study wouldn't have come together without uh, the huge assistance from Dr. Gerald Evans, who is the head of infectious diseases and runs uh, the infection control uh, for the hospital. So we needed his input to make sure that we were doing this safely and we we're giving the right answers to the students who had sort of vague answers to some of the questions. So, for example, how do you tease out if somebody um, has seasonal allergies and they're coming in in May, well, they could be sneezing for a good reason. And how did we um, deal with that when it came to, can we let them in the study or not? Mm -hmm. um, Kieran Moore from public health was involved from the get-go. Uh, all of the deans from all of the faculties, uh, the Dean of Nursing, Medicine and uh, Rehabilitation, they were all co-investigators. And we had an epidemiologist that we uh, contracted to help us uh, construct the, the sort of the more demographic side of things. Mm -hmm. um, but also uh, we involved um, someone who's expert in psychology for the mental health um, questionnaires. So a pretty great example of the collaborative efforts that go into studies such as yours. Wow. Yeah, it's certainly been the, the largest number of co-investigators I've ever worked with in the past. So it, that initial first grants, so we did apply to CIHR initially and, and did not uh, successfully receive funding. So, but that was a lot of, uh, a lot of track changes in that version. Lots of people involved. Well, and congratulations to all of them too. <laughs> so let's hear uh, about the subjects. How and why were students from the health sciences selected? So really because they were going to be clearly interacting with each other as they learn their clinical skills. Mm -hmm. And they were gonna be coming into the hospital. They're gonna be coming into clinics. Um, they have clinical requirements that force them to, they can't just do everything online. Um, so they do have times where they have to be able to see them, each other and patients, uh, including standardized patients as part of the clinical skills program. Mm -hmm. um, so we felt it was a unique opportunity that these were people that were coming into these sort of more higher risk environments anyway, um, to really get a sense of, you know, if we test people when they're asymptomatic, does that translate into um, being able to successfully show that it, it is safe to let these people come into the hospital, for example? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what might the results suggest for rates of transmission and immunity uh, beyond the students for other members of the university community, if not the community at large? So again, it's a little bit harder to apply mm -hmm. to the community at large and the, and the large particularly, but um, we're hoping that if we can show that if uh, these students who continue to follow public health measures while they're in the hospital can keep themselves safe despite the fact that they are allowed into the building, um, and we continue to show that if they are asymptomatic, they will test negative, um, we think that'll be really helpful in general. Mm -hmm. Again, it's, it's going to be hard to always get around the requirements for physical distancing just because the class sizes for the general campus are so much uh, larger. But we've really used, you know, the, the, the opportunity to feedback um, as, you know, again, trying to recognize that 
we have to keep some of the data confidential, but we are um, feeding back to the higher ups in the university because they are paying attention to see if, if this is successful. Um, maybe we can inform uh, policies for the rest of the campus. Okay, thank you so much. So what are the chief aims of your team's research? Ultimately, what outcomes do you anticipate your study will achieve? So we, we hypothesize that if you are asymptomatic and you've been somebody who has been um, possibly most adherent of anyone to the public health recommendations, that if you're asymptomatic, you will test negative. Um, again, the, the, the pressure, I wouldn't say the pressure's on, but um, students who are coming into the hospitals probably are much more uh, likely to adhere to strict hand hygiene, um, to be better at donning and doffing their PPE. Um, so we think that, that people who have been tasked with keeping themselves as safe as possible so that they can keep their patients safe um, will likely be able to keep themselves virus free. Mm -hmm. And um, so our other question, of course, is some of these people will develop um, symptoms of a viral respiratory illness. And so we, we really strongly encourage them to come back for subsequent visits so that we can check antibody levels uh, to see was that actually a COVID-19 illness that you experienced, or if for people who were confirmed COVID cases and therefore couldn't uh, make that particular visit. Um, again, important to get the antibody status on those uh, particular participants as well. Thank you. So I also understand Dr. Teresa Tam, Canada's Chief Public Health Officer, also remarked that your study's results will directly inform the pandemic management policies and procedures implemented by universities and public health regions. So with that in mind, what are your thoughts on how the results might inform pandemic management policy here at Queen's University, the KFLNA, and potentially beyond? Yeah, so we really have tried to adapt uh, an integrative knowledge translation process throughout the study. Okay. Uh, sharing where we can uh, rapidly results that are appropriate to share. Um, you know, again, we can talk in an aggregate. We're obviously not going to talk about uh, individual students' results because that's confidential within the, within the study. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we do know that as of right now, not a single person has tested positive who's been enrolled um, for the virus on the PCR testing. Mm -hmm. um, and what's also interesting is now that the, K the Kingston Health Sciences Center has changed its assay, if you ask for a COVID-19 test, you automatically get tested for influenza and RSV. So we're actually picking up some other um, inc incidental vir viral uh, information as well. Okay, wonderful. I, thank you so much for, for that. So for the benefit of non-scientists out there, can you, can you break it down a little more for us what the day-to-day -day will actually look like in this study? What do you do in the labs? What kinds of tasks do you and your team members uh, undertake to conduct a study and finally report on it? Yeah, so it takes a whole lot of organization. As you can imagine, some of the days we actually have 90 medical students coming in who all need to have a negative COVID test before they can start their clinical rotation in 48 hours. Mm -hmm. um, so again, the advantage of our large team that is used to uh, coordinating up to 120 participants simultaneously within the environmental exposure unit, um, you know, studying a large number of people in a short period of time is something that we're really good at. Um, so it takes an awful lot of coordination to making sure that, uh, that the participants know exactly when we expect them to come for their visit. Um, we have the added challenges of our new COVID-19 protocols that we developed back in May. We have standardized uh, operating procedures for um, seeing patient or participants within 
uh, the COVID uh, situation, particularly since we're bringing them into the hospital. So things like we're not booking more than four people for any one visit. Um, we make sure that everybody's observing the minimum six feet. We actually probably wind up using a lot more because we just put every single participant in their own room. Mm -hmm. um, and then we come to them. And so it's taken a lot of, you know, we all, we all had to learn proper PPE procedure. Um, and, uh, but it's, uh, it's been working really well. And we've been able to, particularly with the excellent turnaround time that the Dr. Schaas lab in, in KHSC offers, means we can actually get results to the students that they need for their clinical rotations, in addition to what we need for the study. Fantastic. Anything else to add uh, about the study before we close? So some interesting developments, we've added in an optional study that came along after we applied for the CTIF uh, grant. Mm -hmm. um, we're actually testing, it's, an, it's optional, but um, the rapid uh, antigen uh, detection test that Health Canada has approved and the uh, government of Ontario uh, wanted uh, centers that could be willing to uh, test a large number of people to try to get a sense of how good of, a, of an assay is this. So basically it's an additional nasal swab, but you get your results within 15 minutes. Uh, it's looking for um, the protein or the antigen associated with the virus as opposed to the PCR test, which does take uh, longer to get your results for. Okay, so anything else to add to about staying safe while we're still uh, you know, studying at home, working at home? So I think the, the most important message is that we can't let down our guard. Um, everybody who has remained, remained sim uh, symptom-free and virus-free in our study, it's because they are still strictly adhering to all of those important regimens around uh, mask wearing, hand hygiene, keeping your distance. Um, and we know with the new variants that are circulating um, that seem to be more transmissible, it's that much more important to everybody keep up your guard. I know it's been a long haul and it gets, gets tiring after a while, but it clearly shows that if you do what you're supposed to do, it works. Thank you very much, folks. We have been talking with Dr. Ann Ellis, who is a professor in the Departments of Medicine and Biomedical and Molecular Sciences here at Queen's University, all about the work she and her team are now doing for a study funded by the federal government uh, in COVID transmission and immunity among students here in, in the Faculty of Health Sciences at Queen's University. Thank you, Anne, for joining us today and giving us some of your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.